Would you remain standing for a moment longer? And uh, for a scripture reading, we turn to Isaiah chapter 42. The prophecy of Isaiah chapter 42. We're going to read verse 24. Actually, we're going to start at verse 23, and we're going to read through verse 3 of chapter 43. This is the word of our Lord, Isaiah 42, starting at verse 23. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will listen and hear for the time to come? Who gave Jacob for plunder and Israel to the robbers? Was it not the Lord? He against whom we have sinned, for they would not walk in his ways, nor were they obedient to his law. Therefore he was poured on him the fury of his anger and the strength of battle. It has set him on fire all around, yet he did not know, and it burned him, yet he did not take it to heart. But now thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by your name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burnt, nor shall the flame escort you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you've given us your word, and we pray that you open our eyes to see wonderful things concerning you in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We welcome to our pulpit today Pastor Steve Brenniger. Pastor Brenniger is the pastor of Grace Bible Presbyterian Church in Cape Canaveral, Florida. You can see launches from the space, Kennedy Space Center from the church. Well, you may have to walk to the beach, which is only two blocks from his church. He has a ice cream store on the parking lot, or in the shared parking lot. So that's like paradise, you know, uh, with ice cream to one side, the beach to the other side. That's where uh, he ministers. Pastor Brenninger is also my boss at the seminary. He's the president of the, of the board of directors of Western Reformed Seminary and a very good friend. I think I talked to him uh, more than I talked to Almost every other member of my own presbytery here, um, every Monday he texts me, how did Sunday go? And uh, we, I say good, and he says great, and that's the end of our conversation. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we talk about other things as well. So we welcome Pastor Brenniger to our pulpit today. <clears throat> to be clear, I do not own the ice cream shop. <laughs> And it is not in the parking lot of the church, just to be clear. But it's next to it. It is close. And the man who runs it, his name is Solomon. Anyways, um, it is good to be with you. And uh, I do consider your pastor a very dear friend. We do talk, uh, usually text messaging uh, quite, quite frequently. And I want to let you know that in Cape Canaveral, uh, our situation in Florida is a little different, but we pray... Uh, often for you and for the other churches uh, in this state and in Oregon and California, our, our BP churches particularly, but all the churches. I know it's uh, navigating these times is uh, troubling. It's difficult. It's um, 
uh, frustrating. And yet we can come before our Lord and our God and know that he is sovereign, know that, that he is reigning. And as we look at the text this morning here in Isaiah chapter 42 and 43, this is one of those times where the chapter division's a, a little unfortunate. If you were to read chapter 42 and put your Bible away and pick it up the next day and read chapter 43, you might miss the, the connection that uh, there's, there's a flow in what's happening. In the end of chapter 42, we find God's people, the nation, the covenant people, under the fury of God's anger. And yet, as we open chapter 43, we see that God will not abandon them. A little over a week ago, my daughter, uh, Felicity, came to me and uh, said, Dad, I feel far from the Lord. And uh, she's a very soft heart. Uh, In the past, we've had a code word for this, but neither of us can remember what the code word is. So she came and she sat next to me and we opened the Bible and we just read the Bible together. Then uh, that was, uh, say, Thursday or Friday. Then that following Sunday night, she came to me and said, Dad, I feel so close to the Lord. I feel like I could give him a hug. This was the sermon that she really appreciated in uh, realizing the Lord was there. Now, we have to be careful. Anytime we say feelings like that, feelings are misleading. And I think every Christian experiences a, a season or seasons in their lives where they do feel far from the Lord. And sometimes those seasons are, are brought about by the Lord as a, a purification and a judgment upon his people. Sometimes those seasons come upon us just because of the attacks of the enemies of our souls. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The lie of the devil is that you finally sinned too much and God is done with you. Certainly our own sinful flesh says that from time to time to us. And the world would want us to hear that very message. In this passage, we see two things happening. We see first that, yes, they were, in, or they were under God's discipline, that they were experiencing the discipline of the Lord. And uh, verse 25 says that very thing of chapter 42, that he's poured out on him the fury of his anger, that he was furious with his people. What was the sin that they had committed? Well, in verse 24, we see that they, they had not walked in his ways. That they were not obedient to his laws. That they were not hearing the word of God. They were not obeying the word of God. When they were confronted, they weren't uh, turning to the Lord. There's that, that statement at the end of verse 25 where it burned him and he did not take it to heart. There was a judgment. There was the fury of the Lord. There was a suffering that came upon them, even described here as the fire all around him. And yet he didn't take it to heart. They didn't take it to heart. That they've been confronted with their sins and yet had not repented, had not responded appropriately. Isaiah prophesied at a time, uh, along with uh, the prophet Micah, to the nation, the southern kingdom, During the time of of Hezekiah, I'll just say this now, those are three of my sons, not these guys that wrote, not that old, but they're named after these people. 
And there was a great revival that happened. And the book of Jeremiah credits the preaching of Micah uh, for what the Lord was doing. Of course, the, the glory goes to God, the credit goes to God, but it was Micah's preaching of things like this. And there's a lot of similarities between Isaiah and Micah. Micah's just a little bit more succinct and, and quicker to say it than, than Isaiah. And as, as you consider those things, as you hear this, you, you hear that it was a time of judgment, it was a time of sin, it was a, a time where the Lord was calling them back to Himself. It was a time when they had, uh, in, in some sense, ab- abandoned the Lord. And yet that relationship from God was not severed because God will not give up his people. And the experiencing of discipline is part of the fatherly care that God pours out upon us, that he he gives that to us. He sends discipline. He sends correction so that we might repent and walk with him. For the the message this morning, that the main verse that I want us to unpack together is chapter 43 verse 1 and and seeing this fact that in the midst of this judgment in the midst of the discipline of the Lord God would not abandon them and it was it was all of the Lord's doing you look at verse 1 there and you notice the emphasis the repetition of the Lord did this the Lord did this it says the Lord who created you O Jacob And he who formed you, O Israel, for I, speaking, the Lord speaking, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. You notice this is the work of the Lord. This is the Lord who will not abandon us. This is the Lord that will not forsake us. We have that precious promise that he will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And all of the the, the glory for that goes to the faithfulness of our God. All the hope of that goes to the faithfulness of our God. So what I'd like us to see this, this morning is that what God says about his people was, was certainly true of them. And by extension, it also is true of all of his people. Not only in the sense that we are part of the nation of Israel, by faith we are heirs according to the promise, we're the children of Abraham by faith, but also as God works in our hearts and in our lives as he's brought him to himself. So the first thing from verse 1 is that God created them as he created us. When Bethany and I were newly married... Bethany's my wife's name, if that wasn't mentioned already, just to be clear, but, which is implied. Anyways, okay, let's move along. That went better this morning. But anyways, um, Bethany and I were newly married, and we were living in a trailer. And we knew the owner of the trailer, so we got permission to put a shelf up. And I figured that I was fully capable of making a shelf. So I got all the necessary materials. I got wood, and I had, I had screws or nails and I had a power saw. And so I built this shelf for an entertainment center in the, in the bedroom, uh, which makes it sound fancier than it was. But I put this shelf up, and I thought it looked pretty cool. But as I, I took my hands off it, one of the corners was sagging. It was very unstable. So I did the natural thing. I went out, cut a piece of wood, and put it under there, propped it up. And I thought it was uh, a great thing. A few months go by. Bethany says, that shelf is so ugly, can't we get rid of it? 
it's, it's not a nice shelf. And so we had her brother who is a, uh, we'll call him a carpenter. I don't know if he'd claim that title for himself, but he built us a shelf and it was, it was nice. It was stable. Amazing thing happened. He put it up on the wall and it didn't sag. So we took down this shelf that I had created with my own hands. The first shelf I've ever made. You know what we did with it? Well, we could have burned it, but we just threw it in the dumpster. And uh, Bethany always laughs about it when she thinks about it and makes fun of me when I say, I'll build a shelf, it'll be fine. Now, why did we just throw it away? Why didn't we keep it? Why didn't we keep it as a keepsake? Because it had absolutely zero value to it. Why did it have zero value? The problem wasn't the materials. The materials were good. The problem was the craftsman had no skill to this very day. I have no skill when it comes to carpentry and other things, but uh, it just, that was the problem. Now, I think if uh, Bethany's brother Mike's shelf, if that trailer is still standing, which I'm pretty sure it is, I bet that shelf is still in there because it was well-made and it would look nice. I think he even stained it to really make it look nice. And it, it was a good shelf. The difference wasn't the material. The difference was the craftsman. As we think about the fact that the Lord will never leave us, the Lord will never forsake us, the reason for that isn't because uh, of, of the raw material where God needs us because we're so special, we're so wonderful, but it's because of the craftsmanship of God. He's created us. And he's at work in our lives and that he's directing us and he is uh, molding us into the people that he would have us to be. And he is that uh, craftsman with the greatest skill as he works on us. Now, this was true that God created, he created his people. In Genesis chapter 12, and I'm going to turn over to Genesis 12, we, we see when God called Abraham that it was God calling Abraham. It wasn't Abraham looking for God, but it was God, and I, I did it. It's Abram at this point. God hasn't changed his name yet. Chapter 12, Genesis, starting in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So you you notice that this is the work of the Lord again. He chose Abram. He called him to a land that he did not know. He says, I will do this in your life. That the, the credit here, the creation here, is the work of the Lord. And when I say that God created you, that's not in the sense of giving uh, life in, in a physical sense, but we're talking about a spiritual sense here. In this particular case, we're talking about calling the, the people of God, organizing the people of God. Now, from the very beginning, God has always had believers on the face of the earth. We see that. But this is where he's calling his organized people, his church together through Abraham and through the, the chapters that would unfold a little bit later in the book of Genesis, that God is calling his, his covenant people. He had his people. For instance, Job is a contemporary of Abraham, and he very clearly understood and believed and trusted in the Lord and was looking to the Lord. 
And yet, at that same time, there was that revelation that had gone out, a special revelation to uh, different ones that the Lord had saved back then. But now he's going to work through Abraham and through his descendants. And he's called these people together. Likewise, we can say that God has, has called us. God has created us over in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Well-known verses. You could probably quote them. I would try and quote them, but then I'd mess them up somehow. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That we are... The, God is the craftsman working in our lives. We are his workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus. We're saved by faith, and even that faith is the work of God, the gift of God that he's given to his people, that he would receive all the glory. When I was a young Christian, I was talking to one of my relatives, and I, I, was, I was asking the question, I said, can we lose our salvation? And my, my relative reasoned this way. Well, I chose God, so I suppose that I could unchoose him whenever I wanted. And there's a certain logic to that. Well, there's also a major problem to that, isn't there? That's not what the Bible says. That's not what we just read in the book of Ephesians. That's not the testimony of Scripture. It is God that has chosen us. It is God that is at work in our lives. And because God has done that, he will not undo that. So first, he created us. And secondly, Isaiah 43, verse 1 says, And he who formed you, O Israel, that God has has formed us. Just to further prove that you should never ask me over to your house to do a small job or major job or any job. Have you ever started a project, repair project around the house, and, and you get into it? You get about halfway into it and you realize you're in over your head. You uncovered a problem you didn't know. I see some of the wives looking at their husbands. (laughs) One day, I decided to fix the leaky faucet. I could talk earlier. The faucet in the the boys' bathroom at the house. And it had been leaking for some time. I'd been paying for that leaking to the water company. So I said, I'm going to fix it. It's not hard. I watched a YouTube video. It's a mowing faucet. You just take the canister out, put a new one in, and you're done. So I got it apart. Couldn't get the canister out. So I did the most logical thing that any guy who knows nothing about plumbing would do. I got a drill out, and it came out in pieces. But it came out. And I went and I got a new canister, and I put that in. And I turned the water on, and it didn't leak. And then I ran the water, and it sprayed out from every direction. And it was worse than when I started it. I made some other attempts that would probably be foolish if you know anything about plumbing. Before I finally came to my senses, I asked a couple of the deacons at the church. They said, just call a plumber. What are you doing? It would have been $100 and you'd be done. Then 
Oh, I, I forgot a part. I'll just leave that out. But anyways, uh, I broke something else when I was doing this, and it just ruined the water of the whole house, and now it cost me a little bit more uh, to, to fix this problem. What was the problem? Well, I didn't know how difficult it would be when I got started. I didn't know all the trouble that I would run into. I didn't know taking a drill to a pipe would break the pipe. I know that probably seems obvious now that I say it out loud, but at the time it seemed like a good idea. And I think sometimes in our Christian lives we think this way about God's relationship to us. That, yeah, I understand that I got saved when I was this age, and I understand I've been walking with the Lord for a few years, but now I've really sinned a whole bunch. And did God really know what he was getting into when he started in my life? Well, we have to remember, beloved, that he knows the beginning from the end. There's nothing you've done that he doesn't know. And that, yes, he knew, and he's continuing to work. In our sinful flesh, we like to think, oh, it's finally been too much. But that's just our sinful flesh talking. That's just the world accusing us. That's just Satan attacking us. The reality is our God knows all things. The reality is to speak as... In, in, in sort of human terms, God's never in over his head like I was with that project. He's working in our lives. He's formed us. He's molding us. He's shaping us and continuing to work in our lives. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. Now, this was true in the, in the life of Israel, even in what we see when they went down to Egypt. In Genesis chapter 15, we won't turn there for time's sake, but God warns Abraham about what would happen later and about how his people would go down to Egypt and that would be there for 400 some years and that there would be great persecution and great trial and great difficulty. And and then he would bring them out. They would go down as a family. They would come out as a nation and there'd be great plunder. There'd be great riches. They would come out very rich because God was using even that suffering, even that difficulty in the life of the nation to, to bring them to the people and to the, to the group that he would have them to be and, and to receive glory even through the deliverance. There was nothing. If you looked at it from a human perspective, the story of the Exodus does not make any sense. How does a people who've been oppressed for so long with no army escape and have this great victory? The only conclusion is that it was the Lord our God that did that. And what we have to remember is that God is continuing His work in our lives. He's continuing to form us. Flipping back to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4 this time, we see this thing. We see this same thing playing out in the life of God's people. That the, the life with, we have with Christ is a, a constant struggle against the old man, a constant dying to the old man and putting on the new man. Verse 22 of Ephesians 4 says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And he goes on to give several of these examples of putting off and putting on. 
this examples of walking with the Lord, of continually looking to the Lord, continually asking the Lord to forgive us, walking in that newness of life, dying to the old man, putting off that former way of life, and putting on what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is bringing things into our lives. You know, even, even the situation that we've all been through with, with COVID and everything that is falled out, falling out because of that. And it's, it's hard to believe looking back to where, you know, those two weeks originally started that now we're talking about this still, all this time later. But the Lord is working through this. The Lord is doing something in the midst of this. this hasn't, it's taken us by complete surprise. If we had talked to ourselves a year ago, we wouldn't have believed everything that happened. And yet, the Lord knew, and the Lord is working, and the Lord is shaping, and the Lord is forming His people. God created us, He formed us. And then the third thing we see here is that the Lord has redeemed us. And you notice it starts with fear not. He says to them, and in the midst of being disciplined for their sin, he says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. That God redeemed them. Even as he was bringing them out of Egypt. He he sent them there, and now he's going to bring them out of that bondage. And in Exodus 6, pages got stuck together. Exodus 6. I almost said Exodus 6, chapter 6. That's repetitive. Exodus 6, 6 is what I'm trying to say. We read, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. The Lord redeemed them, brought them out of that bondage, set them into the freedom that they might be with Him and and His people and serve Him. And there's a great parallel there to our experience with Christ that God has redeemed us as well. There's so many places that we can turn for that particular point. But I'm looking to Titus chapter 2 this morning. Titus chapter 2, verse 14 we read, starting in verse 13, excuse me, looking for the blessed hope And the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawful deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. We've not been redeemed with corruptible things, but we've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb of God, the only begotten Son of God. And that redemption wasn't a partial payment. It was a full payment for God's people. So that in Romans chapter 8, Paul asked the rhetorical question. says in in Romans 8, "If, if he's not withheld his own son, if he's not withheld the Lord Jesus Christ, what goodful thing, what needful thing would he withhold from you? If he's redeemed us from our sins which we uh, have this salvation by faith, what, what other thing, what other obstacle would he put in our way that we have to, to conquer? There's none because Jesus is our Savior. Jesus has redeemed us so that Isaiah can say to them, fear not, 
For God has redeemed you. As an evangelism explosion, if you're familiar with that, they, they have a question that they like to ask. And it's a diagnostic question just to sort of test and see where people are at. And the question is, if you were to die tonight and God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And it's a helpful question as far as it goes. And I've asked that to people and people have told me because I've had a really hard life and I've suffered a lot. I've had somebody else tell me that because he lets everybody into heaven. Of course, the answer that we're driving at, what we're looking for is that only by the redemption that is through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That question got asked of one of my daughters. Since I've already named her, it was actually Felicity. She was being interviewed by the session to come as a communicant member of our church. And she was asked that question by the elders. And she said, I would say nothing. And I got so excited when I said, well, why wouldn't you say something? And she said something that I've said from the pulpit several times, because my Savior will speak for me. If that scene unfolds like that, and it probably won't, but if it unfolded like that and we actually got asked that question, Jesus would answer for us because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he would say, because this one is mine, because my blood has bought them access, because my blood has washed them white as snow, they are my people. They are part of our family Father, they've been adopted through the work of the gospel. And we would have that access to the Father through Jesus Christ the righteous. And, and we, we look at that and that is our great hope. That's what we have to meditate on. We fall into that trap of having to earn God's love, which is a form really of legalism. We can't earn God's love. None of us deserve God's love. That's why it's all of grace and what our Savior has done as He's placed His love upon us. God's created us. God has formed us. God has redeemed us. And then lastly, there's this beautiful statement where He says, I have called you by your name. You are mine. What a, what a wondrous statement that's implied there. They say, and I think it's true because I agree with it, that the favorite word in your own language is your own name. And what people love to be called, not hey you, but to be called, called by name. Now, I'm not great with memory. I hope there's not a test later. But when I meet somebody new at church, and I'm, I'm not doing this today because the, the whole page would be full. But I try and write down their name when there's a visitor and they tell me their name. I try and write it down so I remember it and I can call them by name. And they, they seem to, to really love that. Well, I like being called by, by my name. Right? And, and there's something about that. But there's also more than that. Not just knowing the name. And that's not just the imagery here. But it's, it's the fact that God, God knows us. God knows our strength and weaknesses. God knows the sin that we're struggling with. God knows uh, the pitfalls that could befall us. And so, as our Heavenly Father, He is caring for us. 
He's guiding us and he's directing us. He's moving in our lives. He's calling us by name. There's that relationship that's there. There's one last passage I'd like you to turn with me to, and that's John chapter 10. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. But like every pastor, I have many, many favorite passages of Scripture. But John chapter 10 is the story, is is Jesus teaching, it's not the story, but it's Jesus teaching that He is the Good Shepherd. And just one verse, verse 14. He says, I am the Good Shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd and he knows us and he knows us by name and he calls us and we hear and just like sheep know their shepherd and find great comfort we know our shepherd and we find that comfort sheep have no natural defenses their only defense is really the shepherd and the shepherd defends them our shepherd the lord jesus christ he defends us he will never leave us nor forsake us So may we walk with the Lord. May the Lord who created us and formed us and redeemed us and call us by name, may he be your hope and your comfort. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can study it together. And I pray, Father, that you would cause our hearts to look unto you, to look unto Jesus, your son, the author and finisher of our faith to praise the work of your Spirit that is applying the gospel in our lives and keeping us. Father, may you receive all the glory. And when we have those times of doubts, may our minds, may our hearts look to you, to your Son, and to your Spirit alone. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.